it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for being with us. Jeffrey Scott Shapiro coming up shortly, investigative journalist, former Washington, D.C. prosecutor. Uh, He's got a great article written about uh, Russia's, uh, the way they've been acting during this war. Also, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Also, what Russia is capable of doing when it comes to nukes, as well as uh, uh, bio uh, weapons, as well as uh, chemical weapons that we're seeing there. And we know the Donbass battle is on. Uh, quick, uh, quick note, it's great news. KCAP is now carrying us in Helena, Montana, 9.50 a.m. Thanks so much. News Radio 95 KCAP. Uh, that is awesome. Uh, so we appreciate you joining us today and being our, our growing family of nations. Especially thanks to Talkers Magazine for ranking us number four in the country, the fourth biggest show in the entire nation, or most uh, powerful show in the country. So uh, let me tell you the number to call. If you rather, if you were saying to yourself, I'm at work, I can't really call, but you want to write, just go to BrianKillMe.com. Not only can you get my books, but it's a chance for you to go online, just click, uh, click on comments, and it'll come to my email. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. A first-term president at this point in his presidency, uh, this is the lowest. This is the lowest for anyone who was elected to the presidency and didn't get up there through the vice presidency. This is a really, really, really bad number. Even Dems are beginning to acknowledge they are heading towards a disastrous midterm. Washington Post speculating on replacement for President Biden. Elizabeth Warren offers a solution to the epic fail on the Democratic side. And the economy, foreign policy, and border crisis, all bad. What does she want to do? How about a skinny bill back better? I'm not kidding. Number two. CDC recommended continuing the order for additional time, two weeks, uh, to be able to assess the latest science in keeping with its responsibility to protect the American people. So this is obviously a disappointing decision. We also think the mask mandate should be in place. Really? Disappointing? That's, thanks, Judge. Ridiculous airport and airline mask mandates ends and America celebrates, at least most of us. We're going to look at who rips them off and who manages to leave them on and why science has not mattered for years and the judge picked up on that. Unless, of course, you're China, where you've locked up 25 million people. Number one. I think what we're seeing right now is pretty clearly the the opening salvos where you're going to see heavy artillery really across the whole front, which is uh, about 300 kilometers at its widest point. So it's going to be a substantial fight. This is potentially a decisive battle for the war. Wow, uh, that is big. Uh, epic battle for Donbass begins as Russia tries and, and fight their embarrassing reputation, restores its embarrassing reputation and take the resources from the Donbass region of Ukraine. I'm talking about oil and iron. If they get Donbass, they get that. The stakes, the death and endless quest to rally the world from uh, rock star Zelensky is happening right now. And of course, great sacrifice on part of, uh, of the Ukrainians. And it's going to be, they say, the biggest pitch battle, tank to tank, artillery to artillery, since World War II. And I just think that if it comes down to pure skills and organizations and communications and possibly even equipment, Ukraine is going to do just fine. 
but it doesn't mean they're not they're going to emerge unscathed by a long shot. However, not everybody is optimistic. Daniel Davis joined me last night. I filled in for Jesse on prime time. He's a retired lieutenant colonel. Cut three. Yeah, I think what we're seeing right now is pretty clearly the the opening salvos where you're going to see heavy artillery, even more than what they have had before, really across the whole front, which is uh, about 300 kilometers at its widest point. So it's going to be a substantial fight. Uh, And then they're also seeing lots of air power, more air power than we've seen in any single battle so far. Uh, And then the Russians are preparing lots of armored uh, penetrations. Apparently, according to the uh, Ukrainian Armed Forces uh, announcer, they have actually already already had a couple of attempts, and that's only going to increase in the days ahead, and it, this is a, this is potentially a decisive battle for the war. Yeah, Luhansk as well as Donetsk, uh, these are the areas in which Russia is moving while we speak right now, and Ukraine is ready. They're there. They've been there. They've been trying to get their land back since 2014, inflicting some damage on the Russians, but getting some casualties of their own. Meanwhile, as the Russians are backed out and pushed out of more and more towns, it's become clear they're not even aiming for military targets. They're killing and murdered civilians, blowing up apartment buildings, hospitals and schools. And you'll see this 900 people found on Saturday. You've seen these endless graves. And what you just don't see since Hitler and Stalin once walked the earth is all these civilians intentionally targeted They're cowards because they can't win a military battle. Here's General Petraeus. Cut to. This could be a pivotal moment in the war in Ukraine as the Russians obviously gave up on the uh, effort to seize Kiev, topple the government and replace President Zelensky with a pro-Russian figure. They lost uh, the battles of Kiev, of Chernihiv and of Sumy in the north and the Ukrainians won. So the Russians have refocused in the area where they have made some gains, very hard fought, uh, and they're going to reinforce that in the east and the southeast, and then presumably further down around the port of Mariupol when those defenders, incredibly resolute, really the, the Alamo of Ukraine in many respects, when that ultimately falls. And his discussion of shaping, normally for us, that would also include preparatory fires. It would include a variety of positioning of logistical assets, uh, medical evacuation, uh, resupply, ammunition caches, uh, refueling assets, and so forth. So uh, that's General Petraeus. Uh, So he's in touch with this administration. I feel a lot better if he was in charge of the operation. The U.S. is starting to train Ukrainians on the howitzers on the next coming days. Evidently, they've been trained on almost all Eastern European equipment. It's pretty unbelievable to me that these new NATO nations, I mean, I think we started off with 12, now we have 30. They still kept the Russian equipment, the Soviet equipment. I mean, there wasn't any type of NATO program. So in case something happened, they'd be able to replace it. I mean, after all, NATO's created to fight against the Russians. That's not what we're going to go to do. We're not going to go to the Russian version of Amazon to get spare parts. But that's the situation. But if Bulgaria, Poland, and uh, you know Lithuania, Latvia, they have all these same equipment, that's got to be adjusted as soon as this conflict is done. So the other big news happened yesterday is the judges ruled that we no longer have to wear masks at airports and in public for public transportation. Yeah, they kept it on in New Jersey. Idiots. But the airlines have dropped their mask requirements yesterday afternoon. American Southwest, United Delta, Alaska Airlines, Spirit, JetBlue, Frontier all said goodbye mask. Most people are happy. United Airlines, masks are no longer required on domestic flights, selected international flights. That's great news. 
Kaylee McEnany, uh, the former press secretary, now Fox News anchor, says, Just now, the flight attendant on my plane announced breaking news in confirming that we can take our masks off. Cheers and clapping erupted on the plane. But my producer today, because I'm going to do a show tomorrow from Detroit, just texted me that she walked into LaGuardia Airport and everybody's wearing a mask except two people. That blows me away. Just walked into LaGuardia. It's packed. And I've only seen two people not wearing masks. Well, when I go there, count me as three. Because I will never wear a mask again. Ever. Um, unless I absolutely have to in order to stay in uh, my job. And what are these students? Students have been forced to vaccinate. They've been forced to get a booster. And now, at least in one uh, private school, wear N95s for the last two weeks of school. That is abuse and idiocy. Adam Carolla was on with Sean Hannity last night. Cut 12. It is scary, though, right, that they're fighting for this so hard? Like, Jen Psaki was disappointed. You're disappointed that Americans clawed back a little bit of their freedom? That disappoints you. Think about that. And there was never any science behind it. The second they said mask up between bites, you had to know there was no science to masking on a plane. No other masking application works that way. It's not like you're in a booth spraying lacquer and at some point someone says, you got to keep the mask up unless someone hands you Fiesta Mix, in which case you take it down until you're done. But as soon as you're done with the Fiesta Mix, right back up. So true. one 866 Listen, I got two guests back to back, but in a half hour, I'll take your calls. Go through your emails. Uh, Jeffrey Scott Shapiro, investigative journalist, Washington, D.C. We'll talk about Russia, what they're doing. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, the chaos at the border, unthinkable. And, and, and so I'm fuming that we're allowing this to happen in our country. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody. No doubt about it. Uh, President Trump was willing to give Vladimir Putin a chance. No question. And they got along fine, but all the Russia hoax investigation destroyed any chance of them making progress. Now, I don't think in retrospect that it's possible to make progress with Putin. I think he is pure evil. But no doubt about it, in 2008, they never should have went into Georgia. But they blamed it on Shashkavili, who was too provocative. But then he went into, and still is, grabbed Crimea and took part of the Donbass region from Ukraine. He did not want them joining the West, the EU or NATO. So he did it, and he really got no retribution. Some sanctions, we never flew in weapons to help the Ukrainians. Wrong message sent. Now after welling up 150,000 troops, he has an invasion, gets repelled, and now is setting for a pitch battle right now in that country of Ukraine, and I think they're up for the challenge. 
No doubt about it, Jeffrey Scott Shapiro saw the challenge of Russia up close and personal, worked with the Trump administration, and defended the former president during his administration. No dictator dared to do anything close to what Vladimir Putin was doing right now in the Ukraine, Jeff writes in the Wall Street Journal. Jeffrey joins me now because a lot of people on the right don't see Russia as the bad guy. Does that astound you, Jeff? It does, Brian. It's uh, it's pretty shocking and disappointing. But I have to say that this is something that started years ago. It actually started even before Trump came into the mix. There was sort of this vacuum, I think, that conservatives felt existed within Republican leadership after McCain lost the election and Romney lost the election, which surprised a lot of us. And I noticed when I was going to CPAC that there were more and more people sort of looking elsewhere for some kind of patriarchal figure that they could follow or admire. And there was this false sense of Vladimir Putin being a strong nationalist leader who was crushing the left opposition in his country. And, of course, that is a complete misunderstanding and superficial view of Russian history because Vladimir Putin is not a nationalist. He is a terrorist who came to power by killing hundreds of his own people. He did this in 1999 with the Moscow apartment bombings. He set up a series of bombings to look like they were Chechen rebels to justify the Second Chechen War. He slid into power and set up a base camp in the Kremlin, if you will, and uh, hurt a lot of innocent Russians. What he's doing now is hurting a lot of innocent Russians. So he's not a nationalist, but there is this false sense of him being a strong right-wing leader who is uh, taking on woke ideas, and it's become very pervasive throughout the party. Well, I mean, a couple of people. You have uh, guys that I guess you know. Uh, Michael Anton seems to be pro-Russia in this situation, thinks that Ukraine is corrupt. And you have another guy uh, who's running uh, for office, I think it's Joe Kent. Uh, he is a congressional candidate, served in the military, seems like a good guy. He does not believe that Ukraine is a, a country that's worth arming. It's a complete lack of understanding of real-world affairs in Russian history, Brian. It's a complete misstatement of the facts and reality. And I think there's this sort of um, (laughs) victim-blaming going on here with Ukraine, Brian. It's almost like Stockholm Syndrome. It's kind of like, you know, if we could just get Ukraine to fall in line and accept that Vladimir Putin's demands are reasonable, then none of us will have to deal with this terrible situation and face the possible Third World War, and we can all have nice things. Well, it's real easy— to say that we should give up the Sudetenland or some region of another country when you're not the one living in it, right? We already learned our lesson from what happened in World War II with the Third Reich. We don't want to make that mistake again. Listen to what Senator Danes, who went to Busha uh, and saw the massacre there. He's from Maine, Republican, cut seven. These are images that nobody should ever have to see in their lifetime. Uh, I was taken from Kiev up to uh, Bucha. It's about 20 miles outside of Kiev. As we were getting close to Bucha, you could see the brutality of the Russians leveling these residential complexes, small homes, apartment complexes. This is where women, children, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas were just living their lives. And then they were brutally murdered by the Russians. So that is what the Russians did. They don't want to fight the military. They want to kill and, and, and destroy and torture civilians. I mean, what is admirable about this? Well, and you know, Brian, it's nothing new for the Russians, right? Again, people who know Russian history know that this is how the Russians fight wars, because they are operating under the belief, because so many other countries like Saddam Hussein's Republican Guard did this right during the Gulf War. They hide in civilian quarters to avoid bombings. So the way that the Kremlin views it is those are the actual targets they want to go after because they assume that the most elite soldiers are hiding in those areas. Um, You know, obviously, 
this is not, again, you know, a, a, an accurate view of reality. But for some reason, you have this issue now developing on the right. And it's very similar to what's happened on the left in many ways. That's what I find ironic about it. When I was in the administration, I worked for the U.S. Agency for Global Media, which houses Voice of America. And I was with the U.S. Office of Cuba Broadcasting. I was shocked to learn how many Americans on the left have this misguided sense of admiration for Che Guevara as if he was some kind of hero of the downtrodden. When he was really just an assassin and a killer, he persecuted homosexuals, he set up slave labor camps in Cuba. But nonetheless, his picture hangs in the office of all kinds of activists who work on the left. And you have a similar superficial admiration for Vladimir Putin on the right. I can tell you as someone who worked with that agency that Russian state media has been a lot more effective than American. They're all over Latin America, and that's why you're seeing the shift in Latin America go to the left in countries like Chile or Honduras and now probably Peru. You're seeing this whole shift go over because the Russians are so effective at promoting propaganda and disinformation and their point of view. And somehow that has kind of seeped yeah. into Well, the do you American blame Trump's right – uh, we're talking Jeffrey Scott Shapiro, uh, Wall Street Journal column, and talked about how the right seemed to be uh, – some in the right seemed to be siding with Putin. Do you blame Trump because he said so many positive things about Vladimir Putin? I don't think that it was helpful. I think that Trump was viewing Vladimir Putin the way someone in international business does. I think that he thought he could come in and try to work with him. I think he probably did a more effective job with KJU. He was definitely the dominant partner in that relationship, right? Um, you know, when I was in the administration, they really did try to view things through the lens of operating a business. This is one of the mistakes we made with personnel. It was like, hey, let's keep some of the more experienced people around. That usually works in business. Unfortunately, for our purposes, those were Obama-appointed holdovers who were experienced people working against us. So you can't really view a political administration through the lens of business. You're not going to be able to con or manipulate someone like Vladimir Putin. He is a expert KGB deception agent. He knows what he's doing. And as intelligent and as smart as President Trump was, I just don't think that that was something that was going to be achieved. So I don't think that those comments were helpful. They probably didn't help the opposition either in Russia because they're looking to America as a moral guiding light. They want to make sure that American leadership is on their side. And there was probably a lot of confusion right. in that context. So but Jeff, I know Jeff, here's do, the thing. Jeff, here's the thing. Do you think this would have happened under Trump? And because Trump did stop the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, he did get out of the missile treaty they were cheating on. Uh, he did uh, send arms to the Ukrainians, unlike President Obama. Do you think that President Putin would have done this under Trump? No chance. There's no way this would have happened under Trump. That's one thing I'll say for our administration. Under our administration, there was nothing like this that ever happened. I don't think there's any possibility of that. I think Putin did respect Trump. I think that he feared him. He also feared his unpredictability. And I think the evidence is in the history that it didn't happen under Trump. Right. Very interesting because uh, now we have an ongoing war and it's clearly good and bad. Uh, there's clearly evil and other people fighting for freedom. Maybe not a perfect democracy, but freedom. You're better off putting your money on Zelensky. Uh, let's hope we can eventually all agree on that as we see the horrors of our modern day Hitler. Jeffrey Scott Shapiro, thanks. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. So some of the numbers I got, Shannon, I get these inside numbers. For February, there was 163,000 apprehensions. It went up to 217,000 apprehensions in March. So just in that month, you saw a 50,000 increase. I would expect to see that 
uh, increase as well in this next month. It's getting, it's getting disastrous. Every day is getting worse and worse out here for us. Um, and uh, this administration can, obviously doesn't care about it. Uh, that is Mark Lamb, Fox News at night, talking to Shannon Bream, Pino County, Arizona sheriff. And it's even worse in Texas. March southwest border encounters, 221,000 land encounters, 33% increase since February, 76 increase were single, 76% were single adults, 28% of the encounters involved individuals who had at least one prior encounter. So they're going back and forth. Unaccompanied children at the border, 14,167. Think about this, a kid by himself with a coyote. What do you think happened to that kid? 18% increase since February, drug seizures, fentanyl seizures, up 55% uh, in March, heroin up 7%, methamphetamine 22%. This is totally out of control in any metrics. Let's bring in Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, American Congressional, I should get your brand new title, right? American Congressional uh, Rights Union Executive Director. Colonel, welcome back. It's good to be back with you, Brian, and uh, pray you had a great Easter weekend. Yep, uh, I did. And so I'm wondering what's going on. I know the Border Patrol hasn't had a, a, a good day in two years. No, they have not. And uh, it would be nice if we had people in elected positions that would honor them by allowing them to do their duties and responsibilities. And one of the things that you forgot to mention were the 23 uh, known individuals on terrorist watch list that uh, have co- tried to come across the board as well. And we may have gotten 23, but I guarantee you that there were 23 or maybe even more that uh, eluded our board patrol. And so we have to be concerned about that. So we're facing a drug trafficking crisis, as you just mentioned a human and sex trafficking crisis. And even just recently, we had Brandon Judd of the uh, Border Patrol Union uh, invoke uh, or request that Governor Abbott here in Texas invoke Article 1, Section 10, Clause Number 3 of the Constitution and determine and see this as an invasion and take the necessary steps instead of busing them to Washington, D.C. Let's let's secure our border and seal off our border because we're creating How? an immense How can problem. you? How can you? I mean, you don't have enough National Guard. How can you don't have enough National Guard? You don't have enough Mm -hmm. Texas Rangers. You need the federal government. Well, no, i tell you what. One of the things that you do have is the Texas State Guard, which is another part of the National Guard. You also have the uh, Texas State Militia. And what you want to do is start allowing these border counties to be able to beef up uh, and deputize more individuals. And, look, you've got a lot of you know retirees and veterans of the military and i've met them they'd be more than happy to go down there and pull you know 72 96 hours of duty down there to assist on the border so texans are willing to do this ourselves because if not but they can't make any arrests see, though right colonel well the the thing is that you have to pass legislation that can empower uh, our folks here in Texas being uh, able to make arrests, and not just arrests for trespassing, which ends up having people being released because that's a misdemeanor, and you cannot stack up the uh, the court system. Many of these uh, counties can't handle that. But you've got to start being able to deport people. And the other thing that you do is these non-governmental organizations that are down here, Catholic Charities being one. And They're embarrassing. That's associated with Lutheran. Yeah, they are getting taxpayer-funded dollars to process illegals. So they're the ones that are putting them on buses and planes and releasing them out into our society with uh, $1,200, $1,300 of taxpayer money and also cell phones and things of this nature. So we can revoke the licenses of these non-governmental organizations, which are 501c3s, uh, from them being able to operate in the state of Texas. So you can kick them out of your state even though the federal government's paying them? 
Yeah, absolutely, because what they have to do as a as a not-for-profit organization, Brian, they have to apply uh, to operate in the state of Texas. So you just revoke that permission uh, for them to operate in the state of Texas. Here is what Tom Homan said should happen. Cut 27. This is a huge issue, and I think Secretary Mayorkas needs to resign. He needs to be impeached because he has access to the same data Bill Malusian got. If he knows no suspected terrorists are crossing this border, as a Secretary of Homeland Security, if he had any integrity, he'd tell the White House, I can't right. support open borders any longer. It's a national security issue. It's a terrorist threat. Because he knows better. It's not that he's incompetent. He's choosing to, to look incompetent. Isn't that insane? It is insane. And again, as Mr. Homer just said, it is putting the American people at risk. When you are a, an elected official or you're a government official, you're supposed to uphold the Constitution of the United States of America. That's our rule of law. And Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution, which is known as the Guarantee Clause, says there are two things that the federal government is supposed to guarantee to every state in the union. One of those things is to protect every state from invasion. And so they're not doing it. They are they are disavowing their constitutional duty, which, you know, to me, that is an impeachable offense. And if you are allowing people to come across that border knowingly on a terrorist watch list, that's uh, that's aiding and abetting terrorism. And so that's, again, f- federal statute. So you're committing a crime even more so. So Beto O'Rourke uh, thinks he has an idea, you know, Title 42, which allows mm-hmm. uh, some to be turned around in times of a pandemic. Listen to this. I think it's time to end Title 42. I don't think we should have ever implemented it. It's a very cynical reading of U.S. law. When I listen to Border Patrol agents who are patrolling on the border, they tell me it actually increases the number of migrant crossing attempts. It creates more chaos. What's your thought about the governor, the the Democratic, likely to get the Democratic nomination to be governor of Texas? Yeah, he has the Democrat nomination, but he will never be the governor of Texas, especially talking about open borders and uh, that Title 42 should not be around. Look, when Joe Biden is saying that he is going to lift Title 42, basically what he's saying is every instance of the corona pandemic or whatever is over for illegal immigrants, but yet he still wants to try to have it in place for American citizens. It'll be very interesting to see how the Biden administration handles and reacts to the federal judge decision out of Florida that says that this whole thing about mass mandates right. on uh, transportation means, buses and planes, uh, is unconstitutional, and, and it has to end because no government organization, agency can mandate things to the American people. That's supposed to be done through our elected representatives, through law. And so uh, all of these people that don't want to abide by the Constitution, don't want to abide by the rule of law, undermine our sovereignty as a constitutional republic, they should not be in uh, positions of leadership in this country. And if they are, they should be held accountable for breaking our law. All right, so I want you to remember, do you remember the, those uh, Border Patrol agents on horses were trying to control yeah. the border uh, with the Haitian immigrants? Well, the people mm-hmm. said they were whipping these immigrants, and they said people that know horseback riding said, no, that's why you got to do it. The horse is going through rough terrain. They're trying to get mm-hmm. people to get out of the river, and that's the way you do it. Remember this. Here is uh, President Biden after he saw this. Cut 22. Of course I take responsibility. I'm president, but it was horrible what to see, as you saw. To see people treated like they did, horses barely running them over, people being strapped, it's outrageous. I promise you those people will pay. They will be an investigation underway now, and there will be consequences. It's amazing, right? Then uh, Joe Biden said that. Kamala Harris saw this and said this. Got 23. 
I've been very clear about the images that you and I both saw of those law enforcement officials on horses. I, I, I was outraged by it. I, it was horrible and, um, and, and deeply troubling. There's been now an investigation that is being conducted, which I fully support, and there needs to be consequence and accountability. Really? Consequence and accountability? Jen Psaki, Cut 21. Once he had a, uh, an opportunity to see the photos, see the video footage, as you saw him say in a statement last night and again this morning, he was horrified. Uh, he believes this does not represent who we are as a country and does not represent the positions of the Biden-Harris administration. Well, it turns out uh, the, the investigation has gone on for months. They haven't been officially exonerated, but they've been told they're not going to be charged. And they're going to make the announcement short, shortly. How long does it take to investigate something like this, Colonel? And what's it going to take for them to apologize? Well, first of all, an apology is not going to be forthcoming. And, you know, this takes me back to, yeah, Jesse Smollett was also, uh, you know, someone's going to lynch him at 2 o'clock in the morning during winter storm in Chicago, Trump supporters. This is what is so embarrassing about the left, how they jump on these things to try to push a narrative. But yet when it falls apart, they're stuck, you know, with egg on their faces. Uh, I would think that it'd be more important to have an investigation on these government, uh, non-government organizations that are getting taxpayer money to process illegals to bring them into the United States of America. You know, you could have asked any cowboy here in the state of Texas, and in five minutes he would have told you exactly what those uh, mounted Border Patrol agents were doing and would have told everyone to go pound sand. But now how many taxpayer, how much taxpayer money have we wasted on an investigation right. that could have been solved in five minutes? Harris talk goes to never wants to talk about the border, talks about it then. And that shouldn't even go, even though a catastrophe is mm-hmm. brewing. Listen to Jen Psaki yesterday, Cut 20. We've been told that the mounted Border Patrol officers the president accused of whipping migrants have been notified they will not face criminal charges. So when is the president going to apologize to them? Uh, there is a process and an investigation that's gone through the Department of Homeland Security. I don't have any update on that. The president said that they were whipping people, which would be a criminal offense, and they've been told they're not going to be criminally charged. And there was an investigation into that, and I'll let the Department of Homeland Security announce any conclusion of that investigation. You accuse these officers of brutal and inappropriate measures now that they've been told they will not be criminally charged. Will you apologize? And, Peter, there was an investigation into their behavior. So that investigation is playing out. Whenever it's uh, going to be announced, the Department of Homeland Security will announce that, and I'm sure we'll have a comment on it after that. So all part of the, the lack of respect for law enforcement, too, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is part of that lack of respect. And, you know, here's another person that has not been down there on the border to see what is going on. I'd, I'd love for her to be down there in the middle of the night with these young men and young women who are out there on the Rio Grande River trying to protect our country and keep our sovereignty. Yep. Uh, but that, that'll never happen, sadly. Yeah, but maybe uh, MSNBC, her new employer, will assign her there one day. Maybe she'll do a shoot from there. Maybe be a pundit with some other prestigious anchor. Uh, maybe Keith Urban will be hired back. It's unbelievable. Show some class and at least apologize. Uh, Colonel, always great to talk to you. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Take care. Y'all the best, Brian. You got it. 1-866-408-7669. Brian Kilmeade Show. Back with you calls. Don't move. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. That's why, me included, everyone is so excited that Elon Musk is trying to buy Twitter. 
Like, yes, the great one. He's concerned about censorship. Freedom of speech. Yes. He's very he said freedom of speech is someone you don't like excuse me, freedom of speech is someone you don't like saying something you don't want to hear. He goes, they have to have that right. He's yeah. like it's essential to a democracy. And there's huge pushback against that, although, believe it or not, the founder is not necessarily against it. Here's more from Rogan. He's the super intelligent leader type character that seems to have great ethics and morals, too. He seems to be like a guy that if you had a movie character and the movie character was this like super billionaire who didn't give a. Yeah. Like, but he was like super smart and he was really genuinely working to save humanity. Yeah. That's that guy. So uh, Rogan's all for it. So am I, obviously. Uh, Apollo Global is uh, this mammoth company that owns Yahoo and many other things. They're considering participating in a bid to buy uh, Twitter. They held discussions about backing a possible deal for Twitter and could provide Mr. Musk for another bidder like a private equity uh, firm, Toma Bravo LP, with an equity or debt support to an offer, the Apollo said. Apollo said, which owns Yahoo, has also been evaluating potential cooperation between the online media company and Twitter. People said that there is no guarantee that Twitter would be receptive to any of this. But I also see that uh, the takeover bid is not really accepted by a board, but the board aren't even stockholders in the company. And and by the way, Musk says if he is to take over the company, the board salary will be $0.00. If his bid succeeds, zero dollars. So you'll do it just because you want to see the company. Maybe you want to have some influence. Jack Dorsey, the founder, slams the board's dysfunction after response to Musk buyout bid. So he's upset by it. I find that interesting that he isn't upset. He said um, he also took on CNN yesterday to Jack Dorsey. He wants no part of Twitter now. It seems like he wants out of this. But he definitely likes Musk and would like to see, I think, Musk take over unless he's putting on a big hoax and this is just a big show. I don't think it is. The other big story is what's happened with the Democratic Party. Uh, their policies are so unpopular. Politico's first story today, much like the New Washington Post yesterday, just talks about how they'll get ready to hold on tight. Democrats are going to get routed in the midterms, leading many to wonder if Joe Biden should be the nominee for four more years. He reportedly told Barack Obama he wants to run again, which is laughable. He's awful, and he's out of it. Number So the Washington Post went ahead and listed the 10 presidential candidates on the left, ranked them in terms of their capability of getting the nomination. Number 10 is AOC. That's a joke. Number 9 is Gavin Newsom. The guy should have been recalled. His track record's terrible. Cory Booker. Man, he got no momentum last time. What's going to change this time? Sherrod Brown, he might be moderate, but I don't see him ever projecting, standing up straight or wanting to put a, become a national figure. Roy Cooper, know nothing about him. Amy Klobuchar, we had a look we don't want. St. Elizabeth Warren is too radical even for Massachusetts. Harris, the worst vice president, least prepared, least interesting uh, person to ever run for office. Most overrated, and Pete Buttigieg. The Pete Buttigieg got no resonance in the South. He fell apart in South Carolina, agreed to bow out, I guess, for a Treasury sec- or for a secretary position. He is a transportation secretary. When? Please tell me when you think the supply chain is running well. When it was at its worst, he was on paternity leave and didn't tell anybody. If you are going to be on paternity leave, which in his situation is totally forecastable, don't take the job. Or you got to work something out. We have a national catastrophe going on. 
a president or somebody like that cannot take time off at that point, especially when you physically can be there. So there's no way any of these people are going to be president. But Senator Warren predicts that it's going to be very tough to hold on to the House and Senate. And she says the only thing we can do is pass Build Back Better. Really? More spending in an overheated economy? Her answer is Build Back Better? Nobody thinks that should be the right answer. That is pure check the box. This is what I want to accomplish despite what's happening in the country. Here's Senator Mitch McConnell on really why Joe Biden is so unpopular. Cut 13. I think the president's richly deserved his approval ratings, which are well below 40 now. The biggest mistake was the $2 trillion so-called American Rescue Plan that was passed about a year ago on a party-line basis. All right. Uh, Mitch Bucato put you to sleep. You have something important to say. Here's uh, Harry Enten on CNN, a CNN polling expert. Cut 15. You know, there was always that thing. Oh, Donald Trump has the lowest approval rating at this point in his presidency. We did it over and over and over and over again. Well, at this point in his presidency, Donald Trump's number is actually his average approval rating is one point higher than Joe Biden's, which is at 41 percent. Donald Trump at 42 percent. A first term president at this point in his presidency. Uh, this is the lowest. This is the lowest for anyone who was elected to the presidency and didn't get up there through the vice presidency. This is a really, really, really bad number. That's on CNN. 33% by the Q poll, 38% by NBC poll, 35% approval on the economy. Good luck with that. You earned every second of it. We never let you, we'll ever let you forget what you did to us and embarrass this country with Afghanistan. And the numbers reflect that. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Coming to you from 48th and 6th, Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Will Hurd, former CAA guy, congressman from, uh, congressman from uh, Texas, will be with us shortly. Uh, and he's going to give us some insight of what's happening on the border. Also, what's happening in Russia uh, and the danger of China, uh, all part of his new book, Match Slap. If you want to know where things are trending within the Republican Party, where there's a lot of very impactful primaries going on, where the former president has backed some underdog candidates, unconventional candidates. How much of his reputation will be on the line? The, for the, the guy who runs CPAC will be with us, Matt Schlapp, great guy. And then we'll do a simulcast on, the, on one of the top shows in, the, in uh, TV business history, uh, and that is Stuart Varney's Varney and Company. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. A first-term president at this point in his presidency, uh, this is the lowest. This is the lowest for anyone who was elected to the presidency and didn't get up there through the vice presidency. This is a really, really, really bad number. So you think it's bad? Even Dems are beginning to acknowledge they are heading toward a disastrous midterm election. Elizabeth Warren thinks she has a solution. Spend more money. I'm not kidding. 
Number two. CDC recommended continuing the order for additional time, two weeks, uh, to be able to assess the latest science in keeping with its responsibility to protect the American people. So this is obviously a disappointing decision. We also think the mask mandate should be in place. Uh, really? Uh, well, the judge doesn't. So let's keep restricting Americans, why don't we? Thanks, Judge. Ridiculous airport and airline mask mandate ends with Americans celebrating, at least most of us. We're going to look at who rips them off and who manages to leave them on and why science has not mattered for years. Or you could do what China did and lock down 25 million, most of which are asymptomatic people in Shanghai. You make the call. Number one. I think what we're seeing right now is pretty clearly the the opening salvos where you're going to see heavy artillery really across the whole front, which is uh, about 300 kilometers at its widest point. So it's going to be a substantial fight. This is potentially a decisive battle for the war. Daniel Davis weighing in. Epic battle on the Donbass region as the Russians try and fight their embarrassing reputation and get it back. Uh, by winning phase two of this war of choice from them. If they do get the Donbass region, they get the oil, they get the iron, uh, they get the coal. The stakes, the death, and the endless quest to rally the world from rock star President Zelensky continues. And let's uh, bring in Will Hurd for this. Also, uh, Will, welcome back, Congressman. Uh, I just want to welcome uh, KCAP 950 AM in Helena, Montana, News Radio 95 uh, KCAP. We appreciate you joining us uh, Congressman, welcome back. Hey, it's always a pleasure to be on with you, Brian. Yeah, and I con- enjoy, always enjoy our talk. Same here. Um, American Reboot, still doing well. Excellent book. An idealist guide to getting big things done in a country that needs big things done. That's my subtitle to your subtitle. Uh, Congressman, first off, what's happening at the border right now is sinful. I never thought I'd see it in my lifetime. The White House doesn't have bad policy. You might not like Trump's policies too harsh or too heavy-handed or... You know, maybe he's trying to leverage our our, uh, our allies. Okay. That was a fun debate. Those are the good old days. But just allowing Border Patrol to be overwhelmed on a daily basis, I mean, how is that responsible uh, uh, responsible leadership? It, it's not. And, and to be honest, that's one of the things that's leading to those low numbers that you were talking about at the, at the, at the top of the show in your, in your big three. Some of these numbers are staggering, right? So, so you talked about in just one month, right? In March, there was 221,000 apprehensions. That's one month. When you look at the previous deportations in an entire year, in the beginning of President Trump's term, it was it was less than that for the entire uh, number of, of deportations in an entire year, right? Um, so, so these policies are absolutely terrible. It's going to get worse. We, we all know about Title 42 going away. This is potentially, and DHS has has predicted potentially an additional 100,000 plus more people added to these crazy numbers that we're seeing every month. So, I mean, um, it's, how could that be? A fa- I mean, what is the goal here, uh, Congressman? What do you, when you Biden doesn't want to talk about it, Kamala Harris won't even go visit it. Mayorkas knows how to do the deal, is, is allowing the Border Patrol to be overwhelmed like this, the wall not to be built, no surveillance, no follow-up, giving away phones, hiring the NGOs to provide a fresh set of clothing, a bus ride, a plane ride into our cities to overwhelm, to overwhelm for the most part, working-class school districts. It, it, look, it, it, 
what they're trying to do, it's either incompetence. I, I, I think part of it is incompetence because they don't know how to stop the problem. And, and, it, and, it, and it goes back to something very basic, and we've talked about this before. Not everybody is an asylum seeker. And stop treating everybody as an asylum seeker. What's happening is when people are, are coming to our border, whether they come – and they, they are in essence, volunteering themselves they're, 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 they're to, to Border Patrol to be arrested <clears throat> because they know that they're going to be able to be allowed eventually to get back into the interior of the United States. They're saying that they have a credible fear of, of back at their home country, right? This is kind of – they've been taught by these, these the, the human traffickers that are moving people, but not everybody is an asylum seeker. Asylum seeker is supposed to be part of a protected class. It's very clear what those protected classes are, and your government is supposed to be persecuting you or your government is not um, per, you know, defending you against persecution by other entities. There are not too many places in Latin and South America that meet that those standards. Venezuela is, is one, clearly. Uh, Cuba is, is another. Now the fact that everybody around the world is understanding and seeing how easy it is to get in, they're starting to leverage this infrastructure that is in place to move people um, to our border. So it starts with stop treating everybody as an asylum seeker, which means more people are going to have to get deported so that you don't have these pressures, not only on Border Patrol or on ICE, but as you point out, the communities, when you're starting to have hundreds of thousands of people added to, you know, it, to our population um, every single month. So, I mean, what would you say to the president? I mean, if you, how could they, do they tell you, listen, I, I'm, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to control the border. Look, I, I, well, what I would tell to the president is right now, start making sure all this intelligence that the intelligence community and, and DHS is collecting on how people are being moved here, use that in order to dismantle the organization that's bringing people here. To move for two – it is not like 221,000 people are walking from, from uh, Honduras to Eagle Pass, no way. Texas. Right, and they're they're on buses, they're in cars, there's safe houses, there's 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 people collecting money, there's exchange of fees, there's a whole level of of infrastructure that to move that volume, you know, almost a quarter of a million people a month, work with our allies in these regions to dismantle that. That's that would be the first step. We have to turn off. Um, the 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 spigot, you know, that is that is feeding that is feeding this this kind of this kind of traffic. That's yeah. one. Two, yeah. ha- handle the border better, right? Like make sure we're we're um, using um, you know all of our tools and stop treating everybody as an asylum seeker. Start with those two things, and that goes a long way to start seeing some of these numbers. Right, and now you have about they expect eighteen thousand is uh, the lifting of Title Forty Two. So if they lift that, uh, they, so Mark Kelly, uh, Raphael Warnock. Uh, Cortez Ma- Mastro of Nevada, Hassan of New Hampshire, all put their len- uh, name on a letter saying, yeah. do not let Title 42 evaporate. Now, these guys have been invisible up until now. This is political uh, This is political salvation. I get it. But why would President Biden want to lose the Senate? Why would he want to put those candidates in jeopardy? Uh, look, uh, so, so I, I, the, the short answer is I don't know. Right, because the, he should be listening. He should be seeing how his poll numbers are, are, are getting terrible. He should be seeing how uh, Latinos in South and West Texas, 
are, are likely you know, going to fuel the, the the red wave that we're going to see in 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 November. Um, he should be seeing all of this as an indication that the American people does not want these things to continue. This isn't about being a, a Republican or a Democrat thing. This is about normal about what policies that should be happening. And when I always try to remind people. You know, my district was 820 miles of the border. I spent a lot of time on the border. I'm from, um, born and raised in South Texas, live in South Texas now. Border security for people that live on the border is actually public safety. And when at night you have dozens of people, um, you know, uh, marching through your, your your by your home, you know, this is a scary. This is a scary thing. Democratic mayors, Democratic county judges. Democratic elected officials in these regions are begging the administration to to do something different. Why they're not listening, I don't know. But in the end, this is going to this is going to what's going to power a number of losses, and and hopefully um, we have a plan and and make sure we give DHS the tools they need. Well, I know you traveled across country with uh, with Beto O'Rourke, uh, both Texas mm-hmm. congressmen at the time, and you guys tried to see what you can get along with now. He ran way to the left for president and did not have success. He talked about taking the wall down, what was built on it. Now he says, here's what he says about Title 42. You don't think it's a good idea for the Biden administration to end Title 42. Why? No, I I think it's time to end Title 42. I don't think we should have ever implemented it. It's a very cynical reading of U.S. law. Really? Is that a cynical reading of U.S. law during a pandemic to control your border? No, it's not cynical. And, and guess what? The local officials, you know, the ones that are dealing with this on a daily day, a day-to-day basis that have been dealing with this for a number of years, uh, they want to see it. Um, uh, they want to see it in place. Right. That's that's the reality. When, you know, one of the things I always when it comes to an issue, talk to the people on the ground that are dealing with this on yes. a daily basis. And and guess what they're saying? And and these are these are Democratic officials. These are people that have been Democrats their entire lives, and they're saying this is the worst it has ever been, and that something needs to change. Don't take away tools that we're that we've been able to use. Give us more tools in order to deal with this problem. Hey, and federal government, uh, Biden administration, get your act together. And and deal with this problem because here here's the next thing that's that you know is my fear is the fact that border patrol is basically you know, uh, uh, you know uh, uh, consumed with this this problem the number of people that are coming in between our ports of entry the amount of drugs that are coming in uh, illegally is 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 crazy uh, we don't know what right. else is, is happening right like I, I i told this a story in 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 the book that i just wrote about how you had chinese astrophysicists sneaking in across the border to try to get jobs working in a um at spacex in south texas to steal their plans and see what they're doing in order to improve their space program right so so these are these are some of the the other things that we have to worry about and when you have a completely porous border which is in essence what we're having now um, this is right. there's going to be a much longer term ramification. Well, the other big story is what's going on in Ukraine. Uh, phase one, they were able to hold off a tremendous, paid a tremendous price uh, on the push to the on the push to the uh, north. Now they're going to be a big battle in Donbass, according to President Zelensky. It's already started. Here's what Robert Charles said, former Assistant Secretary of State, cut for. You know, you probably got five or. 
six new facts. One is that Russia is trying to regroup in the east. The second is that their basic combat power, you know, their brigade strength and the morale is falling, is low already and falling. The third is that their command and control ship, the biggest, most important ship in the Black Sea, uh, was sunk, the Moskva, by, by the Ukrainians. And the last two are that the Russian economy is starting to feel heat and there's still a nuclear threat out there. I think the two big races that are underway right now, Todd, are the speed of the regroup versus the speed of the resupply and probably the speed of the economic sanctions bite versus the speed of uh, Putin thinking that he can achieve his aims. It's a it's a tough moment. So how does this play out, Will Hurd? Final thought? You know, look, uh, how this plays out, the way it should play out is the West should be giving as many weapons um, to to the Ukrainians as they can possibly handle. The Ukrainian foreign minister said the more weapons we get and the sooner they arrive in Ukraine, the more human lives will be saved. If we're able to resupply the Ukrainians to continue uh, to show their their ferocity and on on the battlefield, um, this is going to continue to go um, it be be in a more positive direction uh, for the Ukrainians. But the Russians have so many more capabilities. We saw them trying, you know, bombing in in, in missile strikes in, in Lviv um, to scare the population. But you're not going to be able to scare the Ukrainians. The longer this goes on, the worse it is for the West. So the more weapons we get to the Ukrainians to lay the hammer um, to the Russians, the better off everyone's going to be. Well, uh, go out and pick up uh, the congressman's book. He talks about how we can come together, how we can get a, a big thug things done. Uh, it's called um, American Reboot, an idealist guide to getting big things done. Uh, Will, always great to talk to you. Thanks, Brian. You take care. You got it. one 408 We're going to come back and take your calls. Then we're going to welcome at the bottom of the hour uh, Matt Schlapp, go inside the Republican Party, as well as some of the key endorsements that Donald Trump put out there, put himself out there. And then we'll do Varney and Company simulcast. Busy hour. So glad you're here. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. It is scary, though, right, that they're fighting for this so hard? Like, Jen Psaki was disappointed. You're disappointed that Americans clawed back a little bit of their freedom? That disappoints you. Think about that. And there was never any science behind it. The second they said mask up between bites, you had to know there was no science to masking on a plane. No other masking application works that way. It's not like you're in a booth spraying lacquer and at some point someone says, you got to keep the mask up unless someone hands you Fiesta Mix, in which case you take it down until you're done. But as soon as you're done with the Fiesta Mix, right back up. Right. And uh, guess who's disappointed? Jen Saga is actually disappointed that the mask mandate is gone. By the way. Uh, my producer's on the plane flying to a shoot I'm going to today, 99% still wearing masks. That's New York for you. Cut eight. CDC recommended continuing the order for additional time, two weeks, uh, to be able to assess the latest science in keeping with its responsibility to protect the American people. So this is obviously a disappointing decision. The CDC continues recommending wearing a mask in public transit. We also think the mask mandate should be in place and that it's safer for individuals who are flying to continue to wear masks. 
Unbelievable. We just have to stick with the science. I'm not really sure what the science is because she goes on to say, I'm not a doctor. Oh, what a shame. You're not a doctor. Meanwhile, please point to the fact that the judge was off base in saying you can't keep extending a mask mandate. And when we have a COVID-19 virus that is a variant, a subvariant of a variant that is causing deaths to drop and hospitalizations to drop. Why you keep screwing with people's lives? You have an underlying condition. You got a cold. Uh, you're feeling symptomatic. Wear your mask. You have emphysema. You have asthma. Wear your mask. I don't. I'm not. And now you can't tell me to. It is a great day. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I think those in my party whom are suggesting that inflation... Uh, is not an issue. I mean, they need to stop reading Harvard papers and start listening to those in Hartford and Harrisburg who are actually experiencing the day-to-day life of what it means to pay higher prices. Uh, I think the president, I've said for a long time, should acknowledge it. Uh, I don't think he needs to take all of the responsibility for it, but he has to take uh, responsibility for what we're going to do going forward. I think you have to reposition money from what we spent on COVID to help small businesses. That is Harold Ford, a reasonable Democrat who knows his party's in trouble, uh, a party that's not in trouble. Man, they've come a long way since think about where they were January 6th. Uh, Matchlap, he is uh, chairman of the American Conservative Union, uh, better known as uh, CPAC, and a uh, former political uh, director for President George W. Bush and author of the book The Desecrators, Defeating the Cancel Culture, Mob, and, uh, and Reclaiming One Nation Under God. Matt, welcome back. Ryan, great to be with you again. Hey, uh, Matt, uh, are you surprised Politico says you guys are going to take the Republicans going to take the Senate and the House uh, and the party and is looking at the Democrats with a president that's got between 33 and 38 percent approval rating? You know, Politico is kind of an arm of the DNC. So what that tells you is between Politico and Biden's pollster from the last presidential campaign who's saying this is the worst political environment for Democrats in 30 years, I think there's a couple of indicators here that you just can't deny. Number one, the Republicans are never ahead in the congressional ballot this far in advance of an election, and they've been uh, in you know they've been in front basically all year. The nation believe the people in the nation believe that we're on the wrong track uh, at an alarming rate, and I just feel like for independents, which is I keep looking at women, independents, young voters, they're turning from Biden's policies because they're not working for him. You know their their incomes are being destroyed by inflation, gas prices, obviously food prices through the roof. And, uh, and I think people are just tired of the woke wars. And they're self-inflicted. I mean, you have the inflation and the economy. You have Afghanistan. You have uh, the border. These are self-inflicted wounds from the president. I mean, the United States, yeah, would inflation have ticked up? Maybe. Economists say it would have. But uh, would it have ticked up as much if you didn't have to do the rescue plan at $1.4 trillion? Yeah. And remember, every time they pass one of these big billion-dollar uh, bills, they uh, – multiple billions, they um, – trillions, they uh, – you, know, you always wonder where the money went. I mean, you know, uh, you know they, they said they needed, when they first got into office, uh, 1.9 to take care of COVID relief, and then they ran out of tests. I think there's a basic incompetence going on uh, in the Biden administration. You call it self-inflicted wounds. I always wonder how much the president really knows 
what's going on. You know, presidents are always in a bubble, but he's in a particular bubble. I, I don't I wonder how much he really understands the American people are hurting, because what they're going to do for 30 years is they're going to put such a mar on this idea that government can solve problems. It's great for my side, but they're going to destroy their brand for a very long time, because once people start to hurt this badly, um, like they did under Jimmy Carter, they don't forgive it quickly. Yeah, uh, my heart goes out to him. Um, so here is uh, here is uh, what Harry Enten said on CNN yesterday. Cut 15. You know, there was always that thing. Oh, Donald Trump has the lowest approval rating at this point in his presidency. We did it over and over and over and over again. Well, at this point in his presidency, Donald Trump's numbers actually his average approval rating is one point higher than Joe Biden's, which is at 41 percent. Donald Trump at 42 percent. A first-term president at this point in his presidency, uh, this is the lowest. This is the lowest for anyone who was elected to the presidency and didn't get up there through the vice presidency. This is a really, really, really bad number. And that is a CNN polling expert that says that. And I think it's from Afghanistan. Matt, I think things changed in Afghanistan. The way we got out, the embarrassment this nation still feels because of that. The ineptness uh, in which the generals basically said, and I blame them too, uh, the President Biden wouldn't hear of it. He said, we're getting out. That's it. We told him what could happen. He said, get out anyway. And then we left all those $80 million, maybe billion dollars worth of equipment behind. And we're seeing it playing out right now. The Iran deal being negotiated by Russia. Are you kidding? Well, and the $80 billion of equipment could have been used to send over to Ukraine. You know, it just gets worse the more you think about the consequences of this weakness. I mean, I go back to this Carter example. You know, Carter was seen as a decent guy, but he was seen as a bumbler uh, on the economy. But also overseas, you know, uh, the Iranians held our hostages, and um, he tried to rescue the hostages in that disastrous uh, aborted rescue mission. And, uh, and I think we're seeing the same thing here. Look, a president has a period of time to prove their bones to the voters, that they've got what it takes. And sometimes they're up and sometimes they're down. The problem for Biden is he's been down in the 40 or under 40 uh, percent range for basically three quarters now. He's just staying in the basement. And I think people are hardening on this decision that maybe he's mentally incapacitated. Maybe he's not smart. Maybe he just doesn't have good uh, decision making skills. Whatever it is, they are viewing him now uh, uh, enduringly as a failed president. And what's going to happen is the Democrats are going to flee these candidates. And uh, who are up in November, they're not going to appear with him on stage. They're not going to appear with Kamala Harris on stage. They're in a meltdown moment on the other side. And by the way, they deserve, deserve every second of this for their hatred and constant piling on of parents, of cops, of teachers, of coaches. I mean, enough's enough. True. So the president, of the, United States, the former president of the United States, Donald Trump, is weighing in heavily on the midterms. He's uh, going against Kemp with Purdue uh, as governor in Georgia, going heavily behind Herschel Walker. That's pretty clear. Uh, then when it comes to uh, Pennsylvania, he's going with Dr. Oz. And when it goes to, comes to Ohio, he's going with J.D. Vance. So what I find it interesting, Matt, it must be very intriguing for you, is that oh, this is dividing a lot of the Trump world. For example, with Dr. Oz, listen to Kellyanne Conway when the president went with Dr. Oz over Dave McCormick. I think that it confused many Republicans and conservatives in Pennsylvania because they've seen Oz in his own words on video against guns for abortion, praising Hillary Clinton as one of the most brilliant women, smartest women he's ever met, being for Obamacare and so on and so forth. 
So that went on. I guess, you know, you have a, a few people over there. Hope Hicks is for Dave McCormick uh, and others. How are you handling that? Do you think the president made a mistake there? You know, we haven't weighed in on in the Ohio primary, in the Pennsylvania primary. Uh, Dave McCormick is a friend of mine. Uh, his wife is a friend of mine. I have a very high regard for him. Um, uh, you know, so we've stayed out of most of these big primaries. We'll probably make a decision eventually. Uh, but you're right. It's tricky. Uh, some tr- primaries are always tricky. You know, uh, Trump went with Oz because he's his long-term friend, and Sean Hannity is a huge backer of his. And uh, and uh, his son, Donald Trump Jr., is a huge backer of J.D. Vance. And, you know, primaries are painful because they're in the family, but you get through them. You get to the other side. And the fact is, is this. No matter who wins that primary in Pennsylvania, I believe we're going to pick up that Senate seat or hold that Senate seat, I should say. Uh, the same thing is true in Ohio, out in Arizona. Uh, Jim Lehman is our candidate in Arizona. I believe he will uh, get that nomination and pick up that uh, Arizona Senate seat. And wh- why do I think that? Because if you have Biden's own pollster saying that you know, he hasn't seen it this bad in 30 years, what he's basically saying is that it hasn't been this bad since 1994. In 1994, Bill Clinton was president. Republicans cleaned up. Basically, they won seats. They had no business winning. And Bill Clinton got smart, and he moved to the middle. Do you think Joe Biden's going to move to the middle? Uh, I don't see it. I think they're doubling down on stupid. They're doubling down on woke. They're doubling down on the government knows best. Uh, For J.D. Vance, he's been, in the past, uh, he has been, and when he originally came out, he was against Trump. Now he's not. And the president says, yeah, he found his way. That's kind of unusual for the president. He usually holds on to some of that anger. He does. But he also, you know, I think he actually forgives uh, too quickly sometimes, too. You know, he lets people who have crossed him back into the tent. He's, he's more tenderhearted than people realize. But it starts with basically apologizing and saying, I shouldn't have said that. And uh, J.D. has definitely done that. And, uh, you know, all these candidates... The thing that's interesting, Brian, is all these candidates are making a play for Trump. And so for the Republicans that are saying, hey, Trump is yesterday, uh, that's not how it's playing out. You know, uh, other uh, other old party leaders aren't being approached. Only Trump. It's because he's captured the imagination and the spirit of activists around the country. Uh, So I know it's painful for these guys when they don't get the endorsement. And look, I might make different decisions than the president on some of these on some of these races. uh, But. You know what? He's got the right to weigh in uh, for the candidate he likes better as well. And I think the key is is this. We've just got to win these races. We've got to win each and every one of these because, uh, you know, what Joe Biden and the Democrats are doing is basically trying to institute socialism in this country. And once that happens, I just feel like we're not going to get it back. Do you think President Trump runs? I do. I do. I, I saw his speech at CPAC in Orlando. Uh, and it was a good speech, and it was a thoughtful speech. And I saw him, um, I've talked to him recently uh, in smaller settings, and I, I think that's where his head is. I think there are, you know, he hasn't made the final decision, but I think you're going to see some announcements soon here that sure make it uh, gotcha. seem very clear that that's what he wants to do. Match Lab, thanks so much. Now, 
The Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney & Company with Stuart Varney. Don't just hang in there on your investments. Call Talon Wealth and get peace of mind with active management of your portfolio. Dial 833-777-7887. Investment advisory services offered through Talon Private Wealth, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Past performance does not guarantee future results. In a matter of moments, I'll be joined by Stuart Varney, where, and he'll... He'll join you. You join us. And then I'll take calls right after that, one 408 7669 and finish out the hour. Uh, and I think we're going to be talking about something I kind of touched on this show, the Tuesday edition, and that is Elon Musk and what's he going to do and how he's getting some power behind him. The financial firm Truist says that's a buy. Buy them at 403 because... They think that stock's going to 495. Here we go. The clock, the atomic clock, just clicked on there. 1051. That means Kilmead joins us. All right, let's start with this. I want to talk to you about um, Twitter and Joe Rogan. He's joined the fight over Twitter and he's backing Elon. Watch this, Brian. Roll it. That's why, me included, everyone is so excited that Elon Musk is trying to buy Twitter. Like, yes, the great one. He's concerned about censorship. Freedom of speech. Yes. He's very, he said freedom of speech is someone you don't like – excuse me. Freedom of speech is someone you don't like saying something you don't want to hear. He goes, they have to have that right. And he's yeah. like, it's essential to a democracy. Uh, I don't know why he was wearing a wig. I have no idea why he was doing that. But I, I do completely agree with the man, and I think you do too. Yeah, and Jack freedom Dorsey, uh, the CEO of the founder, seems to be in Elon Musk's corner. That's going to help. This Apollo, this investment fund, seems to be in his fund. Maybe they could do something together. I think that'll help. But why is everyone so desperate to hold on to Twitter? I don't understand. Like, why is these? Why aren't people because allowing the shareholders to take a role? Is there something about the algorithm that's going to be revealed that proves that we what we all already instinctively know that conservative thoughts been censored? It's a left wing propaganda machine, and nobody likes that. It's stamping on free speech. And uh, Elon Musk is going to do something about it. I think the first thing you should do is to fire the board of directors, fire the uh, leading managers, because they've led that company down the tubes. They've censored people. They've failed to innovate. They don't make much money. They're fading. Get rid of them all. I mean, I'm all in favor of that. Any, any opposition from you? No, I mean, I saw Jen Psaki said, well, we find that Twitter is very white and very coastal. Oh, really? Oh. How about it's very left and very coastal? Why is yeah. everything race? You know, I, I mean, yeah. I, I don't understand the, what's necessary for that. She also was in tears today talking about what Florida is doing to LGBTQ rights, which means she hasn't read the bill uh, she was at in all. Tears? But she in got tears? misty about it. In tears? Yeah, that's that's uh, that's the word. She was in tears about that, which shows she hasn't even read the bill. Just like she has not had time to research what happened with the horse soldiers at the border. Right. Uh, just like she doesn't really have to know, doesn't feel as though she has to apologize for really condemning uh, these uh, border patrol agents on horseback, right. which and, she perceived them to be doing. And masks. Masks. I mean, she's not too keen on the mask coming off in planes and trains and automobiles. I mean, she doesn't like that. What's going on? Right, right. A, a judge makes a ruling that says take the mask off. They extend it for a month. We know no science behind it. They see an increase in a variant with cases, but now with hospitalizations as well as uh, deaths, we're under 500 for a nation of 330 million. Why are you still hindering our existence? Why are you still screwing the people of Philadelphia? And now I understand this. I was stunned by this. Uh, my producer is actually on a plane right now in LaGuardia. I went to LaGuardia and went on a plane. 
Guess how many people that she noticed, roughly the percentage, have masks well, on? I'll tell you, because we had a, a, an item from Reagan National an hour or two ago. 80% of the people arriving at that airport were still wearing a mask. What's your producer saying? 99 Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Hey, America, wake up, snap out of it. It's over. Live your life. I mean, whatever makes you, if you have underlying conditions, you know, you know the deal. Yeah. Uh, leukemia, asthma, whatever sure. it is, deal with it. You got to you got to stay healthy. But if you're a healthy individual in the prime of your life, why are you wearing a mask? That you'd be totally brainwashed. I mean, that yeah. that means that you've been watching too much of the view. <laughs> Do you I, I have a sense of exasperation at all of these issues that are just cascading along, bungling along, not getting anywhere, whether it's masks or the border, whether it's inflation or anything else. I just feel exasperated at what this administration is doing and failing to do. You're the same, I think. Here's what, here's what I feel good about. The American people are, uh, are done with it. If the president was at 48% approval rating, I'll go, really? You left the whole back door of the country open. We are being invaded at the tune of a million every three months. And it's about to be three million over the next three months. You're taking our money. You're giving these people new Nikes, brand new phones, and sending them into school systems that are already overstretched, underpaying teachers, and hurting your kids. But with the American people have said, I've had it with making trans, uh, you know, hormone blockers part of grade school, teaching kids about being a transsexual, having a pronoun be something that you learn about in school, not on a grammar test, but as your identity. People are fed up with it. Yes, And when totally. I see Bill Maher totally. do stand-up for 20 minutes on just the facts of the Democratic Party and get killer laughs, I know the American people are insulted by it. I think the times have changed. I hope. 200 days to the election. Brian Kilmeade, thanks a lot, sir. See you again real soon. Go get him, Still too. ahead. All right. one 408 We're going to continue to talk about it. Here's Britt Hume on what he thinks people feel about this administration. And believe me, he's a guy who's not speaking partnership. He's talking about experience. Cut 19. Inflation affects everybody, and it affects people in the lower income uh, ranges the most because they... Whatever they do, they can't, you know, richer people can afford the gas and food prices and they can cut back on luxuries. But I'm talking about people who don't spend a lot on luxuries, but they spend on food and fuel and so on. Many of them in rural areas have long drives and have to have the fuel. These people are getting killed by this inflation. So the administration gives up on it or says it can't do anything about it or argues that it can't. That's not going to work. People don't want a government that says it can't solve the problems. They want a government that can. Thank you. They can do it, or at least try to do it, and puzzle. And that's what I'm saying. Whatever you think about Trump, he's trying to get a trade deal with China. Oh, I don't like that deal. He's trying to get something with NAFTA. He doesn't like the leverage. He doesn't like the language. Okay, but he will try to get a trade deal. Not to give Trump, not to put another uh, floor on Trump Tower. Then when he's trying to get the border control, I like it, I don't like it. More border patrol, less. More funding, more, more wall, more fence, whatever it was. He was trying. This president's not trying to do any of that. He's muddled along. He's being... He's being muzzled by a Easter rabbit who happened to be one of his communications people as he was talking extemporaneously. That's crazy. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade coming to you from New York, 48th and 6th. Heard around the country, heard around the world. I'll tell you, I thought I was getting hit by a tornado this morning. I mean, that lasted about six hours. 
That's what I'm thinking to myself. Are my doors blown in? That's how crazy it was in New York today. I don't know. Upstate New York, it's uh, snowing. It's, uh, it's, about, it's about 6 inches, 12, 12 inches of snow. Are you kidding? We're almost into May. What's happening here? So we'll discuss all that and probably not the weather. Uh, we've got Tom Homan coming up this hour. And then an encore performance from uh, uh, Johan Hari who wrote the book Stolen Focus, Why You Can't Pay Attention. It's really not your fault. It's because society's set up that way. The Internet's set up that way. Your iPad, your iPhone, everything that's going on in your life, the way ads are run, you've got to get control of your life and teach you how to do it. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. A first-term president at this point in his presidency, uh, this is the lowest. This is the lowest for anyone who was elected to the presidency and didn't get up there through the vice presidency. This is a really, really, really bad number. Yeah, every Dem is are beginning to acknowledge they are heading towards a disastrous midterm. Look at Politico today. Since they're going to lose the Senate and the House, it speculates on replacements for President Joe Biden. The Washington Post will discuss it. Number two. CDC recommended continuing the order for additional time, two weeks, uh, to be able to assess the latest science in keeping with its responsibility to protect the American people. So this is obviously a disappointing decision. We also think the mask mandate should be in place. Okay, Jen Psaki, sorry, but it's not. Thanks, Judge. Ridiculous airport and airline mask mandates ends and America celebrates. At least I thought we would. We're going to look at who rips them off and who manages to leave them on and why the science hasn't mattered in about two years with this pandemic. Number one. I think what we're seeing right now is pretty clearly the the opening salvos where you're going to see heavy artillery really across the whole front, which is uh, about 300 kilometers at its widest point. So it's going to be a substantial fight. This is potentially a decisive battle for the war. And no doubt about it. And that was uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Daniel Davis on with me last night. Uh, when I substituted for Jesse. Epic battle for Donbass. It's beginning now. Russians try and fight uh, through their embarrassing phase one failure and try to salvage their reputation as a fighting force. All they are is cruel personified and uh, depravity personified. The stakes, the death, the endless quest to rally the world. President Zelensky has become a rock star and he's earned every every day of it. He gets on with parliaments, with senates, with house members, with world leaders, greeting him in person, social media showing that he's fearless, not going to run like Ghani of Afghanistan. And now it's uh, the game is on. And that's what we're looking at with this with this war. I'll talk about the mask in a second. But this Donbass region is something that's been occupied really partially anyway from the Russians when they just invaded Crimea unprovoked. In the Donbass region is is coal, is iron, is oil. So if they were able to hold on to it, they'll say, look, we got more of it. That's all we ever wanted. And it's really going to make Ukraine not as powerful. Right now, they're going through an application to be a member of the European Union. That gets under Russia's skin. The fact that NATO is more unified than ever, that gets under Russia's skin. The fact that Sweden and Finland are about to announce that they have a goal to become members of NATO and they will immediately gain admission, that gets under Russia's skin. Also, the fact is that even though Vladimir Putin says the opposite— The sanctions are hurting that country because the leader of their central bank, who tried to resign the day of the invasion, she says that things are really beginning to hurt. They don't get replacement parts. They're not going to be able to get things for their own military. Meanwhile, uh, Russia is announcing this fight in Donetsk and Luhansk in the Oblast region. They're starting to move forward. The question is, 
can Ukraine fight in the open? I mean, they were fighting in limited areas in which they were defending, and they did exceedingly well. So the Russians start just killing innocent people and destroying hospitals and buildings and apartment complexes, as well as schools and, and theaters, because they're gutless. So Russia will fight in the streets, but they don't do it well. Will they fight in the open fields? And should, tactically, the Ukrainians allow this to happen? Because if you know they want to do that, if you know it's to their advantage, why would you do it? Or do you sit somehow in the background and you do this guerrilla fighting with your javelins and you start taking out these tanks like you were doing before? Here's General Petraeus about what he's seeing. Cut to. This could be a pivotal moment in the war in Ukraine as the Russians obviously gave up on the uh, effort to seize Kiev, topple the government and replace President Zelensky with a pro-Russian figure. They lost uh, the battles of Kiev, of Chernihiv and of Sumy in the north and the Ukrainians won. So the Russians have refocused in the area where they have made some gains, very hard fought, uh, and they're going to reinforce that in the east and the southeast, and then presumably further down around the port of Mariupol when those defenders, incredibly resolute, really the, the Alamo of Ukraine in many respects, when that ultimately falls. And his discussion of shaping, normally for us, that would also include preparatory fires. It would include a variety of positioning of logistical assets, uh, medical evacuation, uh, resupply, ammunition caches, uh, refueling assets, and so forth. Yeah, and of course, General Petraeus is always fascinating to talk to. He's one of our finest tacticians, uh, and he was mentored by General Keane. was on with Neil Cavuto yesterday with uh, Charles Payne filled in. Remember I was telling you about the sanctions? This woman's name is Alvira Nubilna. She's the chairman of the Russian Central Bank. She uh, was much more candid about the situation with Russia and the sanctions. She told lawmakers that while the sanctions impact had largely been on the financial markets at first, they will now begin increasingly to affect the real sectors of the economy. For example, her quote, practically every product manufactured in Russia relies on imported components. Factories now may still have them in stock, but because of the new Western export restrictions, Russian companies will be forced to shift their supply chains or start making their own components. At the moment, perhaps, the problem is not yet, as I quote her, so strongly felt because there are still reserves in the economy. But we will see that sanctions are beginning to tighten in almost every day. She says internationally respected central banker, which she is. She tried to resign in the days right after the war, which he d- almost did. She said half of the central bank's $600 billion in foreign currency and gold reserves remain frozen because of sanctions. These reserves that the bank still controlled, she said, were mainly gold and Chinese yen or little, uh, or little use in trying to stabilize the ruble forcing the bank to resort to capital controls like limiting the amount of money that people can get out of their accounts. And there's a lot of people leaving the propaganda machine who are just flat out left Russia uh, specifically. So I believe that if the Ukrainians can hold out and start bleeding this country dry, that means Moldova is safe. That means we'll continue to build up and fortify NATO. That means they'll start putting 2 to 3% in. We'll get rid of the old Russian-Soviet-style equipment. We'll sell them the Western-style equipment. We will train them over in Tampa at CENTCOM. And then we'll be able to pivot with the United NATO against a ambitious China who says they're going to fortify and back up Russia. Not good. That's not the way to win over the American people, I don't think. So here is Roy Blunt speaking on a special report yesterday, talking about what the 
uh, Russians have already lost. Here he is. Cut six. They clearly lost the first part of the war. You know, it'd be interesting to know whether Putin was more surprised by the uh, Ukrainian resistance uh, or the turnaround in NATO back to the original purposes of NATO, including Germany now very willing to do what NATO's designed to do or the lack of effectiveness of his own military on the ground. So I think now they're just continuing to try to terrorize people uh, and intimidate people. I don't think the Ukrainians are going to be easily intimidated. Not going to be intimidated, but what they do is, and this is how gutless the Russians are. They're inexperienced. They got uh, no moral convictions, no moral compass. They don't have any sense of battle ethics or the warrior ethics you hear so much about. What they're doing is they prefer to kill innocent people that aren't ready for them. So I just, before we go for this hour, I want to talk to you for this uh, segment. I want to talk a little about the mass mandate. I love that this Trump-appointed judge looked at the mass mandate. No reason to extend it. Let's lift it. A lot of people are upset by it. Here's the reaction from passengers when word got out from JetBlue to United on down. Cut, cut 10. I love it. I love the change of not wearing a mask. You should be able to choose whether you want to wear a mask or not. It's one of the best things we could have done in, in months. It should be a, you know, a person's personal choice to do it. It's about time. Of course it's about time. Adam Carolla put it all in perspective. Live your life. Cut 12. It is scary, though, right, that they're fighting for this so hard? Like, Jen Psaki was disappointed. You're disappointed that Americans clawed back a little bit of their freedom? That disappoints you. Think about that. And there was never any science behind it. The second they said mask up between bites, you had to know there was no science to masking on a plane. No other masking application works that way. It's not like you're in a booth spraying lacquer and at some point someone says, you got to keep the mask up unless someone hands you Fiesta Mix, in which case you take it down until you're done. But as soon as you're done with the Fiesta Mix, right back up. Right. Uh, Adam Carolla knows it. But you, but you can't tell people on a six-hour flight, don't eat, don't ever take your mask off. Are you crazy? So what they had to do is just sacrifice credibility. And clear-thinking people realize there's no credibility. Do what you want. But I'm taking mine off. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So some of the numbers I got, Shannon, I get these inside numbers. For February, there was 163,000 apprehensions. It went up to 217,000 apprehensions in March. So just in that month, you saw a 50,000 increase. I would expect to see that uh, increase as well in this next month. It's it's getting disastrous. Every day is getting worse and worse out here for us. Um, And uh, this administration obviously doesn't care about it. Yeah, that is the sheriff over in Arizona. Uh, just seeing they're being overwhelmed, and it's about with Title 42 gone May 23rd. It's going to get so much worse, worse in our history. And it's just so aggravating because all this is preventable. You know, with Donald Trump, well, I think his his border policies are 
too harsh. There's still a surge at the border. How do we stop that caravan? Okay. But he's trying to stop the caravan, and he's trying to do things to control the border. You want to apply? I think it should be easier to apply for amnesty here. We need people. We need workers. That could be done at embassies. That could be part of a look of sealing the border first. And Trump would have been into that. But this president doesn't even acknowledge the border. Takes or just goes past it. Oh, this is a surge. That's because of Central and South America poverty or gang activity or criminal behavior or they want the American dream. Okay, we all do, but not by sneaking in. Doesn't that matter? We all want the American dream. We don't want to. We don't support smash and grab. This is smash and grab right into our country. So the CBP put out numbers, total encounter numbers for uh, for fiscal year. 2022, so far, 12, 1.2 million, 1.2 million, not counting the getaways, right? In March, in the southwest border, 221,000 plus encounters, 33% increase since February. Nuts. Unaccompanied children, 14,167. Do I think the American people would love to adopt children? Yeah, I think they lines your adoption pretty long. But this is not the way you do it. Who's your father? Who's your mother? Who's the human, human trafficker pretending to be your relation? Meanwhile, 76% of people who came across were adults. 33% increase in uh, February. So they're unaccompanied children. Drug seizures through the roof. Fentanyl up 55%. Heroin up 7%. Meth, 22%. Cocaine seizures up 11%. And we didn't even talk about Title 42 and just letting everybody in. So I had a chance to talk to Tom Holman last night. And here's what he told me in all his years at the border, various different positions, including what he just did for President Trump. Never seen anything like it. Let's listen. Another record-breaking month for all the wrong reasons as illegal crossings on our southern border hit an all-time high. Border Patrol encounters nearly 230,000 migrants trying to sneak into our nation during the month of March. It's the most of any month since Joe Biden took office and the most in over 20 years. 80,000 migrants were released into the United States, while nearly half of them were expelled under Title 42, if we're to believe those numbers. But that's about to run out. And when it does, we can expect to see an unprecedented number. But it's not just migrants illegally crossing our southern border in 2021 looking for a better life. Border Patrol apprehended at least 23 people on the terror watch list trying to cross into our country. This was what Jen Psaki had to say about that. Here's what we're talking about, encounters we know and of a suspected terrorist attempting to cross the southern border. They're very uncommon. Uh, we're talking about a few dozen annual encounters at most. At most. It sounds enjoyable, just a few do- dozen encounters. It only takes one person to cause a tragedy. And 23 is just the number of suspected terrorists who were caught. Who knows how many got away? Tom Homan is the former acting ICE director and visiting fellow at Heritage Foundation and Immigration Reform Law Institute. Tom, 23. That's stunning. How many hijackers did it take to turn this this country on its head? One. And I can't believe she made that statement. And look, Brian, this is what they call They call 23. Terrorists don't want to be arrested. So for them to be arrested, it says that they weren't very smart crossing the border. However, 700,000 gotaways since Joe Biden became president. 700,000 people entered this country illegally and were not arrested. 
How many of them are in a screening database? And just last month, 67,000 gotaways. And these aren't Tom Holman numbers. These are based on camera traffic, drone traffic, and, and sensor traffic that Border Patrol records but can't respond to. You know, and here's, here's what people need to be worried about. After 9-11, we put a lot of processes in place so terrorists can't get in the United States. We got the visa security program. We got the no-fly list. We got the terrorist screening database. You can't get into this country because if there's any derogatory information at all, you're not getting a visa, you're not getting a plane ticket. But those processes mean nothing. If you can walk across the southwest border unscathed, like 700,000 people other did. This is, a, this is a huge issue. And I think Secretary Mayorkas needs to resign. He needs to be impeached because he has access to the same data Bill Malusian got. If he knows no suspected terrorists are crossing this border as a Secretary of Homeland Security, if he had any integrity, he'd tell the White House, I can't right. support open borders any longer. It's a national security issue. It's a terrorist threat. You know what's worse, Tom? He knows better. He worked under you. He was a deputy. He knows better. He's choosing to suck. Listen to Beto O'Rourke if he becomes governor of Texas. Listen to him. I think it's time to end Title 42. Okay. I don't think we should have ever implemented it. It's a very cynical reading of U.S. law. When I listen to Border Patrol agents who are patrolling on the border, they tell me it actually increases the number of migrant crossing attempts. It creates more chaos. Is that what they're telling you? Absolutely not. Title 42 is a game changer in the Trump administration, and, and Joe Biden kept it, but this administration, the secretary, didn't really use Title 42 to the full extent that they should have because 85% of family units got to get in despite 42. Uh, all UACs came in despite 42. Uh, a single adult who didn't speak Spanish got in despite 42. But it was a game changer for President Trump that helped us gain the most secure border we've ever had. Tom Holman, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So there are some Democrats who see, see it almost as uh, clear as we do. Gary Peters is one, the senator, Senator Mayork, uh, Senator uh, Cortez Masto, Warnock, Maggie Hassan, Mark Kelly, all said the president should not get rid of uh, of Title 42 until he has a plan to handle what's supposed to be 18,000 in Texas alone. Brian Kilmeade Show. When we come back, uh, Joanne Hariri will be with us. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody. You know, we got this podcast, BrianKilmeadeShow.com. You get our podcast anytime. We've got millions of downloads every month. Thanks so much for that. And of course, we got the live radio show you're listening to. One of the interviews that got the most uh, feedback or the most traction is this this one. And it's uh, it's uh, Johan Hari. And he wrote the book, Stolen Focus. Why you can't pay attention and how to think more deeply. And what's going on in this world? I'm talking about our phones that we use. I'm talking about the way the ads are done, the way life is now, and how it's hurting us. Let's listen. You focus on focus. And what did you discover (laughs) about this technological age when it comes to focusing? Yeah, you're so right. I mean, I wrote this book because I noticed that with each year that passed, Things that require deep focus, like reading a book, watching a long movie, were getting, for me, more and more like running up a down escalator. You know what I mean? I could still do them, but they were getting harder and harder. And I noticed this is happening to almost all of us. The average American office worker now focuses on any one task 
for only three minutes. For every one child who was identified with serious attention problems when I was seven years old, there's now a hundred children who've been identified with that problem. So I wanted to figure out what's happening to us, right? What's going on? So I used my training at Cambridge University to travel all over the world from Miami to Moscow to Melbourne to interview 200 of the leading experts on attention and focus and really dig deeply into their science. And what I learned is there's scientific evidence for 12 factors that can make your attention better or can make it worse. And loads of the factors that can make your attention worse have been hugely increasing in recent years. If anyone is listening and your attention is getting worse or your kid's attention is getting you worse, it's not your fault. It's not just you. You're not imagining it. And crucially, your attention didn't collapse. Your attention has been stolen from you. That's why the book is called Stolen Focus. And when we understand the 12 factors that are doing this to us, we can begin to build bigger solutions. What, did it happen intentionally? Or is it just one of those things, keep on making the iPhone better, keep on making social media more attractive, keep on building a website that gets more eyeballs? Or is it something devious and insidious? It's a bit of both. Some of it is by accident. For example, we can talk about this more, but the food we eat is profoundly damaging our ability to focus and pay attention. The fact we don't allow our children to play outside freely is profoundly damaging their ability to focus and attention. Now, no one designed that. That wasn't anyone's intention. Some of it has been very deliberate. I mean, don't take my word for it. Sean Parker, one of the biggest initial investors in Facebook, said we designed Facebook to maximally invade people's attention. We knew what we were doing and we did it anyway. God only knows what, what it's doing to our children's brains. So let's look at, say, Brian, one of the 12 factors that's uh, damaging our focus and attention that I think will be playing out for every single one of your listeners today. I went to MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, to interview one of the leading neuroscientists in the world, a man named Professor Earl Miller. He said to me, look, there's one thing you've got to understand about the human brain more than anything else. You can only consciously think about one or two things at the same time. That's it. This is just a fundamental limit of the human brain. Human brain ain't going to change anytime soon. But what's happened is we've fallen for a massive delusion. The average American teenager now believes they can follow six or seven forms of media at the same time. So what happens is scientists get people into labs, not just teenagers, older people as well. And they get them to think they're doing more than one thing at a time. And it turns out every time you can't do more than one thing at a time, what you do is you juggle very quickly between tasks. And it turns out that comes with a really big cost. Just like eating KFC comes with the cost that you gain weight, trying to do more than one thing at a time comes with something called the switch cost effect. When you try and do more than one thing at a time, you will do all the things you're trying to do much less competently. You'll make more mistakes. You'll remember less of what you do. You'll be much less creative. And this isn't a small effect, right? The, the one study, for example, found that just being interrupted a lot while you're working is twice as bad for your intelligence and attention as getting stoned on cannabis. This is a really big effect. This is why Professor Miller said to me, we are living in a perfect storm of cognitive degradation at the moment as a result of being constantly interrupted. So interesting. So in, in terms of you keep on getting interrupted and you don't have that time to wind down and reflect and think, mm. it hurts you cognitively in the long term? I think you put that really well, Brian. You know, one study found that if you're interrupted, it takes you on average 23 minutes to get back to the level of focus you had 
before you were interrupted. But most of us now never get 23 minutes spare. And when you look at all the evidence that our attention is getting worse, one of the reasons this is so important is I would say to anyone listening to your show, just think about anything you've ever achieved in your life that you're proud of, whether it's starting a business, being a good parent, learning to play the guitar, whatever it is, that thing you're proud of took a lot of sustained focus and attention. And when focus and attention break down, your ability to achieve any of your goals starts to break down. Your ability to solve your problems breaks down. This is why it's so heartbreaking when you see kids who can't focus and pay attention, because you know they're going to be less able to achieve anything in the world. Obviously, a third of my book is about what's happening to our kids and how we can put it right. If we don't get attention right, you can't get anything right. You know, you can't achieve what you want to achieve in your life. Stolen Focus, the name of the book, and it's uh, your TED Talks got well over 100 million clicks. So people are checking it in. If you even look who endorsed your book from Emma Thompson to, uh, to Adam Grant to Elton John, uh, people have really said that they <laughs> see the same problem of all ages about focusing, which is kind of interesting. It's almost we have a national, it's a self-inflicted ADD. So what study did you, what study did you do? that maybe gave you an idea of how to beat this problem and what could be done to attack this problem? Because almost everybody listening right now, outside that crazy friend you have who still has a flip phone, uh, could really benefit <laughs> from what you, you've, you've uh, researched. So I think there's, for all of the 12 factors that are screwing with our ability to focus and pay attention, I would argue there's two ways we've got to deal with this. I think of them as defense and offense. So we've got to defend ourselves and our kids as much as possible as individuals. So I'll give you one example out of dozens and dozens that I give in the book. In, I'm stupidly unpointing, although this is the radio, I know you can't see it. In the corner of my room over there, I've got something called a K-safe. It's a plastic safe. You take off the lid, you put in your phone, you put the lid on and you turn the dial at the top and it will lock your phone away for anything between five minutes and a whole day. I will not sit down to watch a movie with my partner unless we both imprison our phones. If people come round for dinner, I make everyone put their phone in the phone jail. I use that for four hours a day to give myself the headspace to think, to just think properly. Um, so that's one example. I give lots and lots of examples of things I recommend to people. But I also want to be honest with people. I don't want to BS people, right? There are loads of things we should do as individuals. They will hugely help. I'm passionately in favor of them. But the truth is, at the moment, they will only get you so far. Because we are living in what one of the leading experts on children's attention problems, Professor Joel Nigg, who I interviewed in Portland, in Oregon, said to me, is an attentional pathogenic environment. It's like, at the moment, someone is pouring itching powder into our heads all day and then leaning forward and going, hey, buddy, you might want to learn how to meditate. Then you wouldn't scratch so much. And you want to kind of go, well, screw you. I'll learn to meditate. That's very good. But we need to stop you pouring itching powder on me, which is why we need to have some bigger changes. So I'll give you an example, if it's okay, of one of the bigger changes. One of the heroes of my book is a woman called Lenore Skenazi. And Lenore grew up in a suburb of Chicago in the 1960s. And I'm guessing like you, like me, from when she was five years old, she would leave her house and walk to school, which was 15 minutes away. Generally, she, she did it on her own. She would bump into the other kids because all the kids used to walk to school on their own, right? By the time you got to 2003, that had completely ended. Um, only 10% of American children by that point ever played outside without an adult. 
and the kids who did play outside got like 10 minutes a week. So mm -hmm. basically childhood became this thing, even before COVID, which obviously slammed it. Um, children, childhood became something that happened behind closed doors under adult supervision. And it turns out that childhood we have lost contained loads of things that was essential for children to be able to focus and pay attention. To give a really obvious one, exercise. Children who run around can pay attention much better. If your kid can't focus, let them run around. But more importantly, when children play freely with other kids without adults there, they learn how to use their attention. They learn what they find interesting. They learn how to persuade other kids to pay attention to them. They learn how to take turns. And we got rid of all of that. And the reason Laura is one of the heroes of the book is not because she described that problem. It's very easy in life to describe problems. It's because she built the solution. So she leads a group called Let Grow, letgrow.org. I really urge everyone listening who's got kids to go to this site. And what she does, and that organization does, is they go to whole schools and whole neighborhoods and persuade them to let the children have increasing levels of independence, building up to playing outdoors again, where they can begin to actually develop a healthy sense of attention. And of all the conversations I had for my book, Stolen Focus, I think one of the most moving was in Long Island. I spoke to a 14-year-old boy who was in a Let Grow program. And this kid, Brian, was, he was a big, strong boy. He was taller than me, right? And until this program began nine months before, he had never been allowed out of his house on his own. His parents wouldn't even let him run around the block, right? And then this program began. And I said to him, what did you do? And he said, me and my friends, we started to play ball in the street. And then we went into the woods and he said, even though our phones didn't work, we still there. We still went into the woods. He said that with great awe. And I said, what did you do in the woods? And he said, we built a fort. And we go and we sit in our fort and we build things. And I know this sounds a bit maybe melodramatic, but honestly, watching this boy talk was like watching a child come to life. And I thought about how many kids I know who never get that. The only right. place we let our children explore anything is on Fortnite, right? And it can hardly be surprised they become obsessed with video games. That's the only space they get any freedom. And when, we, when that boy left, Lenore was with me that day, she said, you know, think about human history. For all of human history, kids had to go out. They had to hunt. They had to map the territory. They had to explore. And in the space of one generation, we took all of that away. And those boys, given a tiny little bit of freedom, what did they do? They went into the woods and they built a fort because this is so deep in human nature. And obviously, I end the book, Stolen Focus, by talking about lots of things we need to do together to heal our attention and focus. But one of the big ones, and there's many big ones, but one of them is we need to restore human childhood. We've given our kids, especially in the last two years, but to be honest, even before that, we've given our kids a childhood that our ancestors would not even recognize as a human childhood. If we want kids who can focus, we need to give them a childhood. So interesting uh, because Willie Robertson, the Robertson family, he grew up on a farm. He was driving a tractor at eight. He would go out in the mm. woods with a gun. He learned how to shoot it, but he would go hunting. That was the way we uh, lived at one point in life. We figured out things for ourselves. And a lot of times you watch the news, you think if your kid's out alone, he's gonna, he or she's going to get kidnapped. You'll never see him again. Yeah, your child is three times more likely to be hit by lightning than be kidnapped. And if anyone said, I'm not going to let my child play outside because they might be hit by lightning, you'd think they were deranged, right? But this is one of these really big changes that happened. Think about another one. And this is the one that most shocked me. And to be honest with you, Brian, it's the one that I most struggle with. Um, so the way we eat 
is profoundly damaging our ability to focus and pay attention. I literally have a KFC bucket in this room, so believe me, there's no superiority here. And, and there's three big ways in which this is happening. One is, so let's imagine you have the standard American British breakfast, the stuff we grew up eating, either sugary cereal or, you know, white toast with bread on it, right? What that does is it releases a huge amount of energy really quickly into your brain, which feels great. Like, yes, the day has started, it's begun. But because it's released so much energy so fast, what it does is you'll get to your desk or your kid will get to their school desk an hour or two later and your energy will just tank and it crashes and you get what's called brain fog where you just can't really focus until you have another, you know, sugary, carby treat, right? The way we live puts us on a roller coaster. The way we eat, sorry, puts us on a roller coaster <clears throat> energy spikes and energy crashes throughout the day, which gives us these patches of brain fog. The way one nutritionist put it to me is it's like we're putting rocket fuel into a mini. You know, it'll go really fast for a few minutes, mm -hmm. and then it just stops. But if you eat food that releases energy more steadily throughout the day, you, you know, you'll be able to pay attention much better. Or think about another, one, of the other two, one of the other causes. You know, your brain to, focus to function optimally needs all sorts of nutrients. And our diets are really lacking those nutrients. But the third cause is the one that I find most disturbing. It's not just that our diets lack the stuff we need. Our current diets contain food, chemicals that act on us like drugs. There was a study in Britain in 20, 2007 where they got 297 kids and they split them into two groups. And the first group was just given water. And the second group was given water laced with a lot of the synthetic dyes that are in the food we buy in the supermarket all the time. And what they found, and particularly candies, and they then monitored the kids. The kids who had the synthetic dyes were way more likely to become hyperactive, to struggle with focus. Mm -hmm. and so you can see how so many of the things that we don't even think of as affecting our attention, like sleep, like food, um, like the stress we experience at work, are massively damaging our focus and attention, along with the component that most of us think of, which obviously I write about a lot in the book, which right. is some elements of the technology we use. I could talk to you for four hours and hope to talk to you again. Uh, uh, no doubt about it, the, the New York Times bestselling author, a British writer, uh, Johan Hari, uh, Stolen Focus, why you can't pay attention, and how to think deeply again. So you don't only identify the problem, you solve it. So that's awesome. <laughs> Johan, thanks so much. Cheers, Brian. All right. I hope you liked Mr. Hereri. And he spoke about something that matters so much and maybe alters your life. Coming up next, well, I think there's more to know. It's me at Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I know I have to find my way back in. Yeah, if I have to come in as a backup, that's fine. But that's not where I'm that's not where I'm staying. And when I prove that I'm a starter, I want to be able to step on the field as such. I just need that opportunity to walk through the door. It's a $16 billion business. When I first took a knee, my jersey went to number one. When I did the deal with Nike, their value increased by $6 billion. $6 billion, mm. with a B. <laughs> if you're talking about the business side, mm. it makes sense. It shows beneficial. Yeah. <laughs> if you're talking about the playing side, come in, let me compete. You can evaluate me from there. That was five years ago. You could have done that and walked in, been a backup, Colin Kaepernick. That's where you were when you were benched on the, the 49ers. I'll talk more about this because there's more to know. More.
to know. He's telling the athlete podcast that he's prepared to be a backup quarterback. He would have went to the he was offered that, I believe, with the Ravens to be a backup quarterback. But he says, no, I am a starter. But your game dropped precipitously after you got to the Super Bowl and almost won it. But you did not stay there. So Kaepernick wants to come back. I think there's probably a place for him. Look at the Redskins last year. They had an XFL quarterback play the last 14 games. Who wouldn't want an experienced quarterback? If his skills are up to date, if he, if he stayed in shape, I would not doubt that there'll be a place for him if he would only accept that. Next. The Reds lose their seventh in a row after their team president, Phil Castellani, dared fans to abandon them. He says, basically, where are you going to go? You don't have to hear that. What a dumb move for, for the Reds. Meanwhile, next, the FDA announced that they are investigating reports that consumers uh, became sick after eating Lucky Charms cereal. Who would think that Lucky Charms would get you sick? It tastes like plastic on a great day. It never goes bad. These aren't kids that are complaining. These are adults. So you have a lot of adults still eating Lucky Charms. Food safety is a top priority. We take our concerns seriously, say official Lucky Charms Twitter shared in a message about the investigations. Can you be a Lucky Charms executive? I think you should be Irish. I would like to be a uh, Cheerio executive. Yeah. I think that's all we have to know. Make sure you listen to me on uh, Fox and Friends Monday through Friday and always keep it here on the Brian Kilmeade Show and BrianKilmeade.com for anything else you need from me. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.